0: Luke chapter 24. If you're going to use one of the Bibles in the pews, uh, Luke chapter 24 is on page 884 of that Bible. Um, If you have elementary school children up to fourth grade and you'd like them to join uh, the kids in kids' church, it's just out this door, Uh, and just over there is the Fellowship Hall. You're welcome to take them. You're welcome to keep them with you. Either one is, is fine. If you are a guest with us um, and you don't have a church home, I just want to invite you to be here. This This is not unusual for us to sing about the death of Jesus, to sing about the resurrection of Jesus, to focus our eyes on Jesus. This is the message that is our message all of the time because this is the message that is the hope of the world. So whatever it is that the Bible says, it says to ultimately, in some way, get us to the Lord Jesus Christ, to what He has done for us. We are working our way through the Old Testament book of Exodus and uh, uh, on a regular basis, and so I just invite you to come along and study with us. Uh, we would love to, to have you back. But I want to read, as we uh, look at the Word today, I want to read just verses 1 to 12. In many senses, we'll be looking at the whole of the chapter, but I just want to read verses 1 to 12 as we begin. This is what the Spirit says through Luke. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. at what had happened. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we come to look at Your Word and to think on this most crucial event in human history and for our faith, we pray that You will help us by Your Spirit to understand it. Lord, we pray that You will strengthen our souls with these words. I pray that you will fill your servant with your spirit, so that your word is heard and understood, that your church may be strengthened, that those who don't know Jesus will come to know him, and that you will be glorified. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. In 1 Corinthians 15, the very beginning of the chapter, Paul in bringing that letter to a close, gives a kind of encapsulated summary of the message of Christianity, of the good news of the gospel, being that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, if you think about it, the fact that Jesus died... And the fact that he was buried, while tragic and awful, is not necessarily in and of themselves spectacular. People die every day. Great people die. Influential people die. Important people die. People whom we love die. And these folks are buried. I just finished reading... Uh, the biography of Archibald Brown, who is called Spurgeon's successor. He was pastor at Metropolitan Tabernacle. And at the, the very last chapter is like lessons from his life. But the last part of the actual story is that his bride dies, and then nine days later, he died. And that's what that last date on our tombstones will signify the end of the story, as it were. And yet for Jesus, His story didn't end with His death. The biography of His life did not finish there. It didn't end with His funeral. It doesn't end with disciples mourning, wondering what they are going to do now. Jesus' story goes on. Because on the third day, He is raised from the dead. He conquers death. Death couldn't keep its grip on Him. Death had a word, but Jesus had the last word. And in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul actually goes on to say why this event is so crucial for us. And I'll paraphrase. In essence... Coming to a place like this without the resurrection of Jesus and doing what we've just done and doing what I'm doing, it's useless. In fact, preachers like me who would call you to, to follow Jesus, we're just a bunch of liars. Faith is futile. Forgiveness is impossible. Hope is an illusion. And eternal life is a fairy tale. All of that, if what we just sang is not true. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is like that one wooden block in in your game of Jenga. You know the one, right? You've gotten to that part of the game where you know if anybody touches that block, it's not that the tower is going to be weak or that a little bit unsteady, it's all going to come crumbling down, right? Well, friends, that's what the resurrection of Jesus is. Well, if you take that out of Christianity, it doesn't just become weaker, it doesn't just become something different. The whole thing falls apart. You don't have Christianity without a risen Savior. And so this morning, I want us to just think about what the angels say here in Luke 24 and be reminded of the reality of the resurrection. Let me just read the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Now consider the first four words of verse 6. He is not here. Look, have you ever just let that sink in? It is horrifying to think of driving to a cemetery where you just buried someone you love a couple of days ago, and you have gone to visit, and you have gone to place flowers. But as you begin to approach the grave, something you can tell something is wrong because instead of fresh dirt covering the grave, it is piled up beside the grave. And you get there, and you look, and it is empty. I mean, that is a terrifying thought, isn't it? And you go, and you ask the caretaker, what happened here? I don't know. It was there. I mean, that's terrifying. But that's exactly what happens to these women. They arrive at this cave like tomb to find that the stone that once covered the entrance is rolled away. And they step in, and the thing is empty. And they have no category for this. They have no idea what to do, they have no idea what to say. Verse 4 tells us that they were perplexed. All they can think is, he's not here? He's not here, he's not here, but the fact is he was there, he was there, he was there just on Friday. The day he was sentenced to death early in the morning. The day that he was beaten. The day that he was mocked. The day that he was spat on. The day that he started to carry his cross out of Jerusalem and up to this hill. And he couldn't make it because he was so weak from being beaten. So somebody else had to carry it for him. It was, the, it was that day. That day that he was nailed, nailed there. He was nailed there and he suffered and he suffocated. And he died on that cross and he cried out all manner of things. And then it was that day that Joseph of Arimathea gets permission and and wants to honor Jesus with a proper burial. And so he gets the body and he takes it to this tomb. It was this tomb. He was there just on Friday. They wrapped his body in linen and they anointed it. And laid him there. In fact, in chapter 23, verse 55, we see they know that the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. He was there. He was there the next day, too. The Sabbath. This quiet day. You see, Pilate had agreed the, 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 the Pharisees had gone to Pilate and said, Look, we don't want them faking anybody out. You've got to guard that place. So Pilate sends his soldiers to the tomb and tells them, according to Matthew 27, go, make it as secure as you can. And there they are, guarding the tomb. And inside, well, there's Jesus' body at rest. Not a move. Not a breath not a sound lifeless he was there and actually the expectation was that he would still be there Sunday morning the women who went expected him to be there look at verse 1 again but on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared they're carrying spices now why would they be carrying spices well Mark 16 says they went and carried spices so that they might go and anoint him. In other words they expect to get to the tomb to make their case to the soldiers to have the soldiers move the stone out of the way so they can go in and anoint the body because I mean he'll be there right because he's dead. The apostles expect him to be there. After that encounter, the women run to tell them all that's happened. Here they are. They're out of breath. They start to talk about, we got. And then the angel said, Why are you looking? He is not here, but has risen. Now, how do the apostles receive the news? Do they say, Of course he's risen? Of course. I mean, do they start singing praise? No. They think these women are nuts. That's what verse 11 says. These words seem to them an idle tale. Why respond like that? Because they expected the body to be in the tomb. Verse 12 says, Peter ran and looked for himself. Walked away marveling. Then the disciples on the road... Expect him to be there too. If you look, the very next paragraph, the risen Christ actually comes alongside two men. They don't know it's him, but they're headed to the village of Emmaus. And listen to what happens beginning in verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They expected Jesus to be still in the tomb. At the end of verse 17, it says they're standing there looking sad. Why would they be sad? They're sad because in their minds, Jesus is dead. He may not be there, but he is dead, and this grieves them. And then in verse 21, they say, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And now they know, they just know that their hopes are dashed. Those hopes are gone. Yeah, the body's not there, but it should be because he's dead. And then there were some explanations for why he wasn't there. There are a couple actually in the Bible. One of them is that the disciples stole the body. So the chief priests who were opposed to Jesus, who delivered Jesus up, want to make sure that any notion that Jesus is raised from the dead and alive again, that nothing like that starts to get spread. And so what they do is they grab their wallets and they cook up an alternative story and they get with the Roman soldiers and they hatch a plot. Matthew 28, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Now, he tells, they tell the soldiers that because if you're a Roman soldier who sleeps on guard duty, you know what you get? You get to join whoever's in that tomb. That's what you get. You get executed. You can't sleep on the job. That's why they make the deal. They give them some money. They say, hey, we'll cover for you. Just make sure to tell people the disciples came. Just make sure, (laughs) just think about it. Just make sure you tell them these fishermen, who must also be ninjas, came and overtook the Roman soldiers and then got into the tomb and got him out. Make sure you tell them that. But that's not the only explanation in the Bible. There's also the explanation that somebody else stole the body. That's Mary Magdalene's assumption. In, in John chapter 20, she says, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, we don't know who they is. Most people who tell you a story like that, well, they did this and they did that. They don't know who they is either. They're just saying they, Right? But what she's saying is, we don't know who it is. It could have been Jesus' enemies. It could have been been the soldiers. It could have been somebody else altogether. But but they did it. They took his body and put it somewhere else. Now, here's the thing. If somebody is so opposed to Jesus that they steal his dead body, and then the disciples walk around proclaiming he is risen, he's alive, you know what they would have done? Um, Actually, here's his body. That doesn't work. Another explanation some people like is that the women went to the wrong tomb. I mean, they suppose that these women were in such grief that they were confused and they went to the wrong tomb, which may sound reasonable. But when you read this, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all consistently tell us that actually the women were there and watched the burial happen. This is a This is not unknown to them. They are right there. They saw the tomb. It's a private tomb guarded by soldiers. Not only that, they knew Jesus. They loved Jesus. They simply wouldn't forget. When I was five years old, my mom died tragically. And until three years ago, I had no idea where her grave was. I couldn't take you there if I wanted to. But then her father, my pa, died three years ago. And the service was at the cemetery. Just a simple graveside funeral. And after the funeral was over, my dad walked me over to where my mom was buried. Now, I've only been there two times. That day... And then the next year, when her mom passed away. But I can take you to Cookville. And I can take you to the gravel crossroads in that cemetery. And I can walk you a few graves in and show you right where she is. Right next to her brother Larry. These women didn't go to the wrong tomb. Well, okay, say some, but, but maybe Jesus didn't really die. Maybe He was just so overcome with the pain that He passed out. He was unconscious. He was, it was so deep that He even fooled the professional executioners, the Roman soldiers, so that they believe He's dead. And in the coolness of the tomb, his body was revived, and this beaten and bloodied man got up and moved a stone that weighed one to two tons by himself and then walked out. Now, even if that were possible, I'm not sure you and I would walk around proclaiming victory. Look at our beaten and bloodied and hobbling Savior. I mean there's even a theory that came out about sixty years ago that Jesus' body, that the molecular energy in the tomb sped up to such a degree that Jesus' body evaporated and then the gas of Jesus' body leaked out of the tomb. Look. Why do all these theories exist? Why why does there have to be an explanation? Because this part of the angel's statement is not contradicted. He is not there. And there's never been evidence to the contrary. He is not there. He is not there. Well, we have to explain that. But none of these are sufficient. So, my suggestion to us is if we're going to believe the first part of the words, if we're going to listen to them and consider them and realize He really was there, well then we should at least give an honest hearing to the last part of their statement. He has risen. He has risen. This is the angel's explanation for why He's not there. This is the explanation of all the apostolic preaching in the book of Acts. This is the explanation of all of the New Testament letters. This is the explanation of Jesus Himself when He appears to John in a vision and says, I died, but I am alive forevermore. This is the explanation of all of church history. All of this the witness that is written down and handed down and passed down echoes the angel's statement, He is not here, but has risen. Has risen. If that is true, you and I simply cannot come to an empty tomb and sing songs about Jesus being raised from the dead and just talk about it like it's nothing. Nothing if this is true it changes everything if this is true casual Christianity is actually not Christianity at all dabbling with Jesus is not the reverence he deserves if this is true everything is different And as we read this, even just read this chapter, it reads like history, not like fiction. Just consider with me. Consider with me the witnesses. No, first consider, let's see, what order did I, the unbelief. Let's do the unbelief first. Consider with me the unbelief in the resurrection. Now, we already saw that, right? When the women go, they're not taking Easter brunch to the tomb, Right? To say, hey, we're going to go there, we're going to have a nice party. We've got some fireworks, we've got, uh, we've got streamers we're going to hang up beside the tomb. We've made a nice cake, it's going to be wonderful. We're going to even wear hats. Maybe that's where it all started, was with these women going to the tomb, and they wear their nice Easter dress, and they wear their nice hat, and they're going to go there and they're going to celebrate. Well, no, they don't actually do that at all, do they? They don't believe He's risen from the dead. And then when the disciples hear, they don't start smiling and nodding and elbowing one another, see, I told you. And then the disciples on the road, they don't believe it, but did you hear everything that they said? Did you hear everything that they said? They said Jesus died. And they said His body's not there. The tomb is empty. That almost sounds like the resurrection story, doesn't it? They know the story. They know all of these facts, and yet they don't believe. Jesus even says to them in verse 25, Oh, foolish of heart and slow to believe. It's interesting to me, isn't it? It's interesting to me that that these two men know the facts but do not believe. It's interesting. A lot of people will tell me, well, I know, the, I know the Bible backwards and forwards. I probably know it better than you, and maybe they do. But, but knowing the Bible backwards, backwards and forwards is actually not a replacement for faith. It's not actually faith at all. It's just proof of intellect or study. You see, familiarity with Jesus is, and, and faith in Jesus are two completely different things. Familiarity with Jesus may actually make us feel quite good about ourselves. Familiarity with, with, with Jesus may give me some comfort, some kind of, you know, hope that I give myself. But familiarity with Jesus does, a, does nothing for us when we stand face to face before God. It is only faith in Jesus which gives us hope in that day. Faith in a resurrected Jesus. When you stand there and... If He's not going to, but if God were to say, "Why should I let you into my heaven?" And you say, "Well, I know the backwards, I know the Bible forwards and backwards." Well, that's wonderful. But do you know you're not alone in that? Because even the demons know that. Well, now, that'll make you shiver in your boots a little bit, won't it? No, no, it's not familiarity with Jesus that makes us right with God, it is faith in Jesus. We are justified by faith, not by familiarity. But unbelief is all over this chapter. But the question that really has to come to mind, how is the unbelief of all these, nobody in Luke 24 except Jesus, believes that Jesus is raised from the dead? Who, how is it that this unbelief is pro, it points to the fact that this is history? Well, let me ask you a question. If you and I were sitting down in the first century and we were making up stories, stories to try to launch out a new religion and a new church and a new movement, all right, and we were going to write about Jesus, and we were going to write about his, his life and His death, and we're going to propose He resurrected. I mean, we've got His body tucked away, but we're going we're to propose that. Do you really think if we're making up stories, we're going to make these guys so skeptical? These are the guys who are going to be the leaders and the preachers in the church, and we're going to say, these guys are completely clueless. They weren't even listening to Jesus. They didn't even catch everything that he said. They didn't even believe him. Imagine if that's on your resume and you want to be a pastor somewhere. Well, I don't actually believe him. Would you think, oh, that, that's the guy right there? No, why? Unbelief. If somebody w- runs up and says, This man who has been dead on the third day is now raised to life again, it rings true for unbelief to be the instinctive response because dead people don't get up. Why does it ring true? Because it's history, it's not fiction. He has risen. Then consider the witnesses to the resurrection. I don't, I don't mean all of the people in Luke 24 or even the apostles. I mean the first ones, the ones who came to anoint the body, these women. Now, it may not seem important sitting here in these pews today that women were the first witnesses to the resurrection. In, in 2022, one might be angry if a preacher points out how significant it is that, well, it was women who were the witnesses to the resurrection. I mean, witnesses are witnesses, Toby. Not in that day. In the day in which this was written... A woman's testimony was inadmissible in open court. Women could not be witnesses, and yet, these women are witnesses. They are the first witnesses of the resurrection. Isn't that interesting? If you had a bunch of men sitting around in some smoke-filled boardroom in the first century trying to make up a new religion, you know who would not be the first? Women. That's That's just the facts of the culture of the day. These women wouldn't be the first witnesses, the ones who bring word to the apostles. It's surprising. Why is it surprising? Because it rings like history not fiction, because it's true, He has risen. And then the evidence of the resurrection. Jesus appears later in the chapter, toward the end of the chapter, Jesus appears to the eleven apostles and gives them physical evidence of His resurrection, that He's not just a spirit, that He has a flesh and bone glorified body. Listen to beginning in verse uh, 36. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. They see his hands. They see his feet. They see his scars. The apostle John adds that Thomas didn't just see, he touched the wounds. They see him eat, something a spirit would not do, but one with a body, with flesh and bone, does. And it actually wasn't just this small group that saw him. According to the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 witnesses saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And all of them would say what the angel said, He has risen if you lined up 500 people in a court of law all testifying to the same thing to seeing the same thing the weight of the evidence with every utterance gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier he is not here but has risen that is the reality with which you must wrestle that is the reality with which I must wrestle because he has risen the death he died that he said was for sin was truly for sin and it actually brings forgiveness to those who trust in him trusting in him following him giving your life to him is not a futile exercise hope is genuine we prayed for these folks this morning who have been walking through (coughs) dark days of cancer and other things. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, they are without hope. But Jesus has been raised from the dead. You may not be in their shoes. You may not walk that path. But you know what? At some point, the day is going to get so dark, you are wondering where hope lies. And hope lies in an empty tomb and a filled seat at the right hand of the Father in glory. That's where hope lies. You cannot just take Jesus as a good teacher and say, Well, He taught a lot of great stuff. You know what part of his teaching was? I'm going to be handed over and crucified, and then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And if he's mistaken or if he lied about that, what else could he be? Maybe he's mistaken about other things. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, it's either all or nothing. there is no dabbling with Jesus there is only bowing before him or turning from him that is it and even if you turn from him the Bible says all of us will bow one day to profess he actually is Lord what you may deny now and what you may go to your grave denying oh I pray that you would not but what you may go to your grave denying about Jesus, you will see to be true in eternity. And here's something to think about. In this chapter, all this physical evidence, the seeing and the touching, they don't actually have the spotlight in Luke 24. There's, that's not the thing that is meant to reverberate forward in history. When it comes to the resurrection, you know what's in the spotlight? Words. Just words. Listen to what the angel says to the women, verse 6. "'He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise.'" And they remembered His words. That's what the angel wanted them to hold on to. Don't you remember the words? And then when the risen Christ appears to the men on the road, look down at verse 25. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them and all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. What did Jesus give them? words. And then even with the apostles, after they had seen Him, look what happens in verse 44. He said to them, these are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. What did He give them? Words. That is the enduring testimony of the resurrection. You see, friend, you and I may want evidence, yeah. Well, we we may want a sign or, or an experience. Uh, we we may want a vision to confirm it's all true, that, that, that Jesus really has raised. I mean, if I could just get a sign, if I could just get some piece of evidence that Jesus is really raised from the dead, then I really would follow him. I really would go after him. I would give my life to him. If I just knew, if I could just know, if I just had a sign that he was raised from the dead. But do you know what God gives us? Words. He is not here but has risen. That's all you need. That's all I need. You see, earlier in this gospel, Jesus tells a story in which we find these words. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they don't listen to words, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Ha! In other words... If words aren't enough, no experience will be enough. Even if you saw a YouTube video of the events as they happened, it wouldn't be enough. Even if the risen Christ came to you this afternoon and spoke with you, it wouldn't be enough. If you will not hear and believe the words, you will not believe. Because faith is not seen with the eyes of the head. Faith is with the eyes of the heart. Faith comes by hearing. After Thomas touches the wounds and sees the risen Christ, Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe." You and I haven't seen, and in this life we won't. But the question is not whether you've seen. The question isn't, do you have enough evidence? The question is, do you believe? All of the evidence that we need is in the Scripture. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day? Do you believe that He is alive even today? Do you believe that He is seated at the right hand of the Father? Are you clinging to a risen Christ to be your Savior? He is not here, but has risen. This is the great truth of human history. This is the only hope for humanity. And if you will believe it, Everything changes. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that changes everything. He is not here, but has risen. Let's pray. Father, how we cling to this truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is not in the grave, but has risen. The bodies of every other religious leader are but dust in the ground, but Jesus has been raised from the dead. We thank you that faith is not futile because Jesus is raised from the dead. We thank you that those who trust in him are forgiven because Jesus is raised from the dead. We thank you that we are made right with you through him because he is raised from the dead. We thank you that we have been born again to a living hope because Jesus is raised from the dead. We thank you that no suffering in this life can compare with the glory that will be revealed after this life because Jesus is raised from the dead. May that truth give us hope and help every single day as we face the trials and difficulties and heartaches of this life. And I pray that It will bring new hope to some heart today that those who have heard these words, your words, will turn from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And know it, because he has risen. We pray all of this in the name of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.